Just a few solid matchups headlined by a Dallas Cowboys team that can't win a big road game going up against a team that has a similar DNA in the Miami Dolphins. And are the Buffalo Bills primed to make a run in the AFC? John Morant's return to the Memphis Grizzlies had a storybook ending in New Orleans, but can he save their season? And when will the MLB hot stove heat up after Shohei Otani signing? Plus, can we end the mystery surrounding Yoshinobu Yamamoto and get on with life? A little feisty indeed, which may mean I have some coal for a stocking or two, but overall nothing but good cheer as we enter the holiday season in grand style. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rolls Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The winter solstice is here. Today is officially a new season. The shortest day on the calendar. Well, it only goes up and gets better from here as the Christmas weekend is on deck and so is the latest podcast as I'll leave this under the tree or in your stocking as I babble about all of what's going on in sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back and right out the gate, I wish... Each and every one of you, a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday Season. Of course, we still have 10 days before we get to the New Year's Eve and the New Year, which is pretty much on the horizon. So we have plenty of time to get into that. But whatever you're doing this weekend, I don't know if I'm going to be on Monday. Check my social media. Go to my YouTube channel, at J Reels. Because if I'm not on Monday, I'll have a podcast ready for you. On the 26th, which will be Tuesday, and it will encapsulate, obviously, everything that's going on in the NFL this weekend. The NBA, big day on Christmas Day. We all know the five games that are played each and every Christmas, and anything and everything else that's happening throughout the wonderful world of sports. So, I don't know if there will be a Christmas edition, but rest assured, come the 26th, you will have a fresh podcast one more time. Reviewing everything that has transpired here over the next few days and beyond. So I just wanted to put that in your memory bank and make sure that you stay tuned, especially on YouTube at J Reels for the latest and greatest there. Speaking of which, we have a week 16, which many moons ago used to be the final week of the regular season. But as we all know, with buys and a 17th game, that is not the case. But we still have three weeks, which kicks off tonight with a decent game. The Saints at 7-7, fighting it out in the NFC South with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Atlanta Falcons behind them. And with the Rams, who are currently in 7th place in the NFC playoff picture, this one has major implications abound, not only for the division, as I mentioned, for the Saints, but also for the wild card, and even for the wild card as well for New Orleans, but... This was a game a few weeks ago that we just dreaded to think that as we get into this Christmas weekend to kick off another week, 
in the National Football League that, oh, geez, we're going to sit through Derek Carr and Matthew Stafford, two teams that may not go anywhere. Well, guess what? At least you have a little bit of a treat, much better than what we've seen in the past. Obviously, last week, that disaster in Vegas with the Chargers and Raiders, and then weeks prior to that, Carolina and Chicago. So at least you have something to sink your teeth into. But when we look at the weekend on a whole, the big game is 425, Christmas Eve, as you get ready to, if you celebrate on that day, whether it's get ready for dinner, which will segue into the evening, and once you get to midnight, maybe go to Mass, or if you're with the family and a bunch of friends, you open up some gifts. But in Miami is going to be the big game where the Cowboys will face another road test to see whether or not you're going to be a believer, especially if you're a Cowboy fan, on whether or not the Cowboys have a long January ahead of them. And what's interesting about this game, because it's twofold, I'll take it from Dallas's point of view first, and then I'll flip that over to Miami. The Cowboys, as I chronicled on Monday after that brutal loss in Buffalo, not to say that this is their last stand, but if they want to prove all the naysayers and the doubters, like yours truly, on whether or not this team has a big road effort in them, and mind you that Miami isn't Lambeau, it's not an intimidating place a la Seattle, it's not a venue where you're going to walk in and you're going to feel it. It's not the black hole in Oakland Alameda once upon a time. So the Cowboys, I'm sure, even with the holiday, that they're going to have a lot of their fans represent and flock to Hard Rock Stadium there late Sunday afternoon in Miami Gardens. So for the Cowboy fan and for all of even the haters, everyone's going to focus in on that game to see whether or not Dallas does have it in them to win a game against a good opponent. An opponent as I've talked about for weeks, is pretty much a mirror image. Similar DNA. Teams that have big offenses and have played well at home and have beaten up on bad teams. But when it comes to competition, ratchet it up a little higher. And in particular with the Cowboys, having to do it on the road. And we understand that they were competitive in Philadelphia before losing late. But we saw what happened in San Francisco. We for sure saw what happened just a few days ago in Buffalo. And now, this is their final test. Because to me, going to Washington, although that will be a test unto itself, because that will be Ron Rivera's last game, and we all know that division games are always tricky, we can't automatically think that the Cowboys could go into the nation's capital and walk out of there with a 38-14 win. Although we would think that's the case, but one more time, division road games are never easy. But when you're going up against a good opponent, and even though, again, it's not going to be hostile territory, you would think the building may be even split when it comes to Cowboy and Dolphin fans. I'm sure the Dolphin fans are going to come out and represent as well. But let's see. It's going to be interesting whether I'm delivering the next podcast Monday or Tuesday, whether or not the Cowboys have passed this test and maybe have made some believers out of A chosen few. But that's why this is fascinating on so many levels. Because if they lose this game, it's going to be same old Cowboys on the road. And if they win the game, the Cowboy fans are going to be pumped up and saying, "All right, we finally got the road win against a good opponent that we've been looking for. And then there's going to be another faction of fans and others that are going to say, "Uh uh-uh, we'll give you credit. But that doesn't mean that they could go into Philadelphia or San Francisco and come out victorious. And on the flip side of that are the Dolphins. Now Tyreek Hill, who knows what his status is going to be coming into this game. He didn't play against the Jets there on Sunday. And I would think that the Dolphins are going to want to have their full arsenal. Who knows? I'm sure maybe Tyreek is going to be a game-time decision. But when we look at the big picture for the Dolphins, this is an enormous game. Because if they want to keep pace with the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC and with the Ravens having a date on Christmas night against the San Francisco 49ers and they feel like as them being underdogs, they're bitter. They feel like they're being cheated, that they're not getting the respect that's due knowing that they had the same record as the 49ers, that they 
of course, have to travel on the road, but as a five and a half point underdog, feel like they've been disrespected. And who knows, maybe they'll use that as fuel and bulletin board fodder to get them through a game where I'm sure it's going to be physical. I'm sure it's going to be tooth and nail. Who knows? Maybe San Francisco will dominate the way they have here over the last few weeks. And they'll send Baltimore packing and flying back to the East Coast with a big L in their ledger. But that's a game I'll talk about and I'll get to in a minute. But the Dolphins, this is a must win because it will put some pressure on the Ravens there for Monday night. And they have a matchup the following week. New Year's Eve, where Miami has to go to Baltimore. And they want to keep at least within a game's length of the Ravens because at least it will guarantee them a shot to have a one seed if they come out of Baltimore with a victory. Because if they lose there on Sunday against the Cowboys and the Ravens win on Monday night against the Niners, that's it. The one seed belongs to the Ravens. And as we've seen... The Dolphins have had their own issues trying to beat big-time opponents as well. More so on the road, whether it was in Philadelphia on a Sunday night, Buffalo earlier this year, Kansas City, albeit in Frankfurt, Germany, but still. So they also have that same cloud that's over them, similar to the Cowboys. And that's why, to me, they are spitting images of one another as a team here in 2023 on whether or not they can win a big game against a big opponent. Now, mind you, it's in their building, so they have the home field advantage in their pocket, but can they deliver? Can they stand and face a big test themselves to win a big game against a big opponent, albeit in their building, because we know at some point, if they're going to be a two-seed, and let's say if they have to go back to Baltimore for an AFC Championship game, or they could even lose the division... To the point where they will have to be on the road. Because I'm going to get to that next with the Buffalo Bills. So for the Dolphins and the Cowboys. A huge test for both teams. Who will be victorious? I can't wait to see. 425 Sunday. As I detailed earlier. And then that leads to the Buffalo Bills. Now they have a Saturday night game against the Chargers. Which is a Peacock game. And you know I can't stand that. Because for those who don't subscribe or do not have Peacock, you have to go out and buy it or you may get that one-week trial, which I'm sure you usually get when it comes to a new subscriber on one of these streaming services. But you're not going to be able to watch the game if you don't have it because it's not on NBC. It's not streamed on Amazon. You have to go to Peacock, and I'm sure quite a bit of the people in the country do have that. But if you don't, you're screwed. And with the Bills and all that I've heard this week, and even though there's a lot of truth in it, but are the Bills primed to make a run here in the AFC, not only just over the next few weeks, but once we get into the postseason? Because all you've heard after that bludgeoning against Dallas on Sunday was watch out. Nobody wants to play Buffalo right now. And I get it that there is some truth to that. And that they could be a dangerous team if they slide in the back door as a 7th seed, maybe even a 6th seed, or who knows. They could actually win a division. Because if the Dolphins slip up here against the Cowboys, and the Bills win in LA against the Chargers, they're currently two behind in the standings in the AFC East. So that will cut it to one. Miami has to go to Baltimore. And we know that's not going to be an easy task. On top of... Buffalo hosting New England the week after. So now you may have a situation where you may have a flat-footed tie in the AFC East going into the final week of the season. And oh, by the way, what is that Week 18 matchup? Buffalo at Miami. Could it possibly happen? Absolutely. And who knows with Tyreek Hill, if he's in the game, obviously they have a better shot against the Cowboys than without him. But for the Buffalo Bills, it's all right in front of them. A Charger team that is limping to the finish line, and even though they cleaned house with the head coach Brandon Staley and their GM, and who knows if they're going to be inspired to think that maybe this is the one game that they'll rally around, knowing that they've been embarrassed, that they've been dragged through the mud, that the Spanos' family, they've been called out in the carpet as far as them being cheap, not looking to get that elite head coach to take them to the promised land and how they refuted that 
So all this has happened and transpired over the last nine days. And they've heard it. And I'm sure that the message has gone down from the top of the organization all the way into that locker room. And who knows how they're going to perform here. Maybe they have a Christmas miracle in store. And mind you, no Justin Herbert. You have Easton Stick instead. So it's going to be an uphill battle to see whether or not the Chargers are going to upset the Buffalo Bills. But it is the NFL and anything could happen. As we see week in and week out. But I'm not quick to automatically think that the Bills are going to be this team that everybody expected at the beginning of the year that all of a sudden they're just going to be a flash of lightning. That these next three games are going to be automatic. That they're going to win a division. They'll end up maybe being a two seed when it's all said and done. Because remember, they have tiebreakers over the Kansas City Chiefs. And although they don't have a tiebreaker against Jacksonville, but Jacksonville has been sliding here over the last few weeks. So there is a possibility that Buffalo could end up as a two seed and have two games in their building before having to go play maybe Baltimore in all likelihood because obviously if they have the two seed, Baltimore is going to have the one. So they would have to play in an AFC Championship setting there against the Ravens. But that is for way on down the road. But I don't know. Although the Bills with the quarterback, Josh Allen as we know, and their offense has been revitalized by James Cook, the running back. But this is a team that has bumbled, fumbled, and stumbled all year long. And right away, all of a sudden, the light switch is going to go on. And they're just going to plow through these next three games. Maybe even win a division. And then automatically think that we're going to have a fast track to an AFC Championship game. Remember, Josh Allen could turn into a pumpkin at midnight. Quick, fast, in a hurry. He could go from Josh Allen to Brett Favre in a snap of a finger. So I'm not going to sit here to think that the Bills, although, yes, you have to pay attention to how they performed and knowing that they could maybe smell a little blood in the water, especially if the Dolphins lose on Sunday because all they have to do is worry about winning their game. And if they win their game, fine. But if the Dolphins are unable to beat the Cowboys there, then the Bills are going to look at it, wait a minute, we're just a game back in the division, and they got to go to Baltimore while we got to go to New England, and New England beat us earlier this year, and there's no way that we're going to have Belichick come to Orchard Park to even think about sweeping us this year where they wouldn't even deserve to go to the postseason if that's the case, but Buffalo, I can see them stub their toe here, and especially this game against the Chargers. Now, if I was a betting man, do I think that's going to happen? No, but again, it is the NFL. From one week to the next, we have no idea. We've seen it time after time after time. So, before I would think that, oh, watch out for Buffalo. If I'm Miami, start looking over your shoulder. As of right this second, they do have a two-game lead. Although, Buffalo does have the head-to-head advantage as of right this moment because of that win earlier this year in Orchard Park. But I wouldn't be quick to, I'm not going to say jump to conclusions, but have that conclusion to think that, oh, this is it. Buffalo is going to be now on the fast track through the AFC into the postseason and they're just going to leave roadkill behind them. You have a couple of games there on Saturday. I mentioned the Buffalo and LA Charger game. 4.30 NBC, you're going to have Cincinnati at Pittsburgh, and that's going to be a big game. This is the last man standing or last go-around for the Steelers if they're going to be in mathematically involved when it comes to the AFC playoff picture. As we know, they've hit the skids. Mason Rudolph is now going to start this game at quarterback. Mike Tomlin had to do it. I had enough of Mitchell Trubisky, as I talked about there on Monday. And with the way Jake Browning is playing, and performing there at quarterback for the Bengals. I'm sure they want to continue to have this feel-good story. I understand they may not have a lot of length in this postseason, unlike the last two years, but they've certainly turned their season around by beating Jacksonville there on that Monday night the way they did. And their schedule gets a little bit tricky because they do have the Steelers, then Kansas City the week after that, before concluding at home against the Browns. And the Browns may not be playing for anything, only because they're right now entrenched in the five-seed And I don't think they're going to catch the Ravens. 
as far as the division. So when we look at tiebreakers, although the Browns have the head-to-head advantage against the Bengals, but they're going to want to keep this good feeling going. And can Pittsburgh somehow, some way, pull off an upset even with a third-string quarterback? I don't know. Now, the Steelers have had success over the years, maybe not recent, although they have won in Cincinnati the last two years, but the Bengals over the last five, six games, they've had the Steelers' number. So, I can't discount it 100% that the Steelers are automatically just going to lay down and roll over for the Bengals. But, again, it is the NFL. And as I've said before, and I'll say until my last breath on earth, division road games in the NFL, no matter what the records are, are always tricky. So you have that game to start off your Saturday, and then if you have Peacock, you have Buffalo to see if they can continue their good vibes there. As far as Sunday, you have a lot of games that are meaningful as far as teams that have playoff implications on their minds, and with the way the schedule is going to break here, Indianapolis and Atlanta, again, not a five-star game in the least, but with Indianapolis currently at seven in the AFC and Atlanta on the outside, but just a game behind the division leaders in the NFC South, that's a game you have to pay attention to. Seattle going to Tennessee, and Seattle with that big win Monday night, and just an absolute awful Lost by the Eagles, and I'll get to them in a bit. But for the Seahawks, who are at 7-7, but on the outside looking in, and mind you, they got swept by the Rams earlier this year, so they lose the tiebreaker advantage there. But Seattle did keep their playoff hopes alive, and they go to Tennessee, which they've been playing competitive. The Monday night game against Miami, down to the wire in a loss against the Texans. So let's see if Tennessee could upset that apple cart when it comes to Seattle having their feudal playoff hopes just still alive here in Week 16. Detroit at Minnesota, if Detroit wins, they win the NFC North. If the Vikings win, they still have an outside shot to win a division. And Minnesota, of course, is in the wildcard mix, so you have to pay attention to that game. Green Bay to Carolina. Now, we know Carolina did get a win a couple of weeks ago, but they've been a dead team walking forever. And Green Bay, talk about some... Final playoff hopes, they're pretty much at the end of their plank at this moment. But Green Bay, if they run the table, maybe with some help, this could still sneak in through the back door. But as of right this second, they're on life support when it comes to their playoff chances. Cleveland at Houston, a big game there. I talked about Cleveland. For the most part, as of right this second, it's probably going to be a five seed if they continue to play winning football. But if not, they could slip in the standings. And with Houston, they're trying to get in as they're on the outside at this very moment. Still no C.J. Stroud as he's in concussion protocol. So that's a game, again, we'll have to keep an eye on. Obviously, no Deshaun Watson. That would have been interesting if he was still playing because he would have gone back to Houston similar to what he did last year coming off of the suspension. But obviously, you don't have to worry about the pop and circumstance there. Jacksonville at Tampa, big game there. I understand not sexy overall. It's not Baltimore-San Francisco, but... Jacksonville, as I mentioned, sliding there in the AFC South, 8-6. And and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing well, 7-7, currently have the top seed, although tied with the Saints in the NFC South. So that is a big game to see where those teams, Jacksonville trying to get their footing to hold on to a division lead, and then Tampa trying to do the same there, as that's a big game. Dallas at Miami, we already talked about. Just a terrible Sunday night game, although Denver, 7-7, seven and seven, again trying to resuscitate any playoff hope in the AFC, has New England going in there, and a far cry from what we saw there years ago with those AFC championship games in the latter part of the, or really the middle part of the 20-teens, the Brady-Manning matchups, where you had those two go at it where Denver made it to both of those Super Bowls, the first one being in 48 where they lost to Seattle, and then two years later when they were able to beat New England again and then go on to win Super Bowl 50 before Peyton Manning went off into the sunset. So definitely it's not going to be any type of a close matchup of that ilk going back six, eight years ago. So just a terrible game there. And then your Christmas Day games, you have... 
Las Vegas at Kansas City to start off. You would think Kansas City will get their bearings after their win last week. And with Vegas, who knows if Antonio Pierce is going to be the permanent coach there at the end of the season. That remains to be seen. But the Chiefs will just want to play better football to get the stench off of that two-game losing streak that they had just a few weeks ago when they lost to not only Philadelphia, but also that game against Buffalo with all the controversy surrounding that with the offsides, Kadarius Tony. But they did get back in the win column, as you saw there last week against New England up in Foxborough. So that's your 1 o'clock game. Your 4.30 game is Giants at Philadelphia. And the Giants, feel-good story there with Tommy DeVito off the field. That whole scenario where he was going to go down to a pizzeria there on Tuesday was going to be paid for it, 10K. But then what happened, because there was no contract signed and the agent stepped in to say, how about 20000 And that caused a stir with the DeVito camp. And I'm sure a lot of people were down on DeVito who was trying to cash in on this new fame based on the Monday night game against Green Bay coming from behind, the nicknames, etc., But what DeVito did was great on his part by showing up to the pizzeria, unpaid, signing autographs, taking pictures, etc. So kudos to him, just a great job. Obviously he has a new marketing team under his belt, although he does have the agent. But the only reason why I bring that up is because that is a feel-good story as we head into Christmas. But is that going to be enough of a feel-good story for the Giants to upset the Eagles in Philadelphia after just a loss that is inexplicable? Where the Eagles had a 17-13 lead. Drew Locke had to go 92 yards down the field with one timeout. And what happened? You had a touchdown where the wide receiver got passed in secondary. Jackson Smith. I can't pronounce his last name, man. You know how I am with last names, people. How he got past James Bradbury. Makes the reception in the end zone. 28 seconds to go. Seattle prevails. Even though that the Eagles had a couple timeouts and had the ball... And Jalen Hurts threw a terrible interception, put it all on him. And that is a loss that if the Eagles don't go far, and let's say they lose a division, that's going to be the game they're going to circle and say that's where we lost the season. Because as of right this moment, you can forget about the one seed. If they would have won that game, they would have been in pace with the 49ers, although the Niners had the tiebreakers, we know. But with the game Monday night against Baltimore and the possibility of Baltimore going into San Francisco to win that game, and with the Eagles having the Giants, Arizona, and the Giants again, they could have had a shot to run the table with a 9 loss, and then they would have gotten the one seed. But with them losing to Seattle there Monday night, you can forget about it. Over and out. And that's a loss that could hurt them. Now, as of right this moment, they are tied with Dallas in the NFC East. But remember, Dallas is currently in first place because they have a better conference record. And with Dallas having to play Miami, and that's the reason why, Dallas, I believe, is 7-3 at the moment, where the Eagles are 6-3. So two of the final three games for Dallas, obviously in the conference, where they have to play an AFC opponent on Sunday, as we talked about. And the Eagles, as I mentioned, Giants twice, Arizona, to round out their schedule in the NFC. So... That won't be a big loss for the Cowboys. Now, of course, in the grand scheme of things, it will be for everything that I've detailed. But if they do lose, it's not going to hurt them in the standings because head-to-head, at the end of the day, especially if the Eagles do slip up here, who knows? And the Cowboys can't afford to lose because if the Eagles do win, they'll have the one-game advantage. I get it. But when it comes to head-to-head, conference, etc., the Eagles will be able to, when it's all said and done, common opponent, you have to break that down too if they all have the same record at the end of the day. And we'll get into more of that. Let's see how this week plays out in the final two. But those are the permutations that you have as big as this game is for Philadelphia. Now to get back on track, they've lost three in a row. They've been embarrassed. They've been beat down. And they've just pulled the heart out of the fans' chest over these last three weeks, including that game Monday night. So let's see how they fare against the Giants at 430. And then lastly, Baltimore at San Francisco. We all know that's going to be a a big game to see where both of these teams stack up as far as the best team in the league overall. I think it's San Francisco when it's all said and done. The Ravens 
we understand that they have a good defense, and it's a bit overrated. I understand they're number two in the league, etc. But I've seen them get thrown on. I've seen them bad defensive penalties. Marlon Humphrey just swimming, especially in that game against the Rams a couple weeks ago. So to me, that team, although they've been good defensively, and stats are stats, and you are who you are, but I follow this team considering close proximity, AFC North, and being a Steeler fan, they could be thrown on. And I understand they may not be the defense that we once saw years ago at Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs, etc. But you're going to see Monday night in full bloom whether or not that number two defense overall is going to put the pressure and slow down or dare I even say stop that San Francisco juggernaut. I think the Niners are going to win, which will set up a great Baltimore-Miami matchup there the week after. And San Francisco will just cruise to a one seed as they already have the pole position there in the conference. And that sums up your entire week 16. I don't know what other or any other storyline that I could put on top of that. I know I didn't talk about Washington at New York and Aaron Rodgers is now activated, although he's not going to play. Do I really need to unpack that? Absolutely not. And Arizona's going to Chicago. No one cares. That is your NFL week 16. I can't wait to recap it all, whether it be Monday or Tuesday. And as you well know, stay tuned for that. On YouTube, at JReels. Now let me turn my attention to the association. And the first thing that comes to mind here, we can talk about the Christmas Day games, and I'll get into that in a moment. But with the association, the big story over the last few days was the Memphis Grizzlies and the return of a one John Morant. And we know he had that 25-game suspension based on his actions and behavior in the previous season, heading into the offseason to where the NBA had to come down on him with the gun brandishing in that video on Instagram in Denver there late in the season. And then in the early part of the spring, in the front seat with his buddy there, that quick glimpse of him holding a gun where Adam Silver had to come down on him, the commissioner of the league, And I understand people could say it's harsh, 25 games, too much, whatever. But it's over and done with. Not going to rehash all that and how that unfolded, etc. We can only hope that John Morant has gotten it together to the point where he's going to make better decisions, that he's going to be a little bit more mindful and conscious of his surroundings, of his well-being, etc. so that he doesn't put himself in any type of danger from here on out. That's number one. Number two is his return And if that's going to be the beginning of a turnaround, you couldn't ask for a more storybook ending than what you saw there in New Orleans on Tuesday night to where he put up 34, 6, and 8, I believe, including a drive to the basket at 113 all to where he was able to get the ball to bounce and go through the hoop, 115-113, a triumphant return, and for Morant and a team that was 6-19, and And has a long way to get back into the playoff picture when it comes to the top 10 seeds in the Western Conference. And mind you, we're past the quarter pole of the season and we can't even think, let alone talk about playoffs in the NBA. But the Grizzlies, as we know, last year were a two seed and got upset, if you want to say, by the Lakers. Although you had the situation where you didn't have a couple of key components, the Steven Adams of the world, the Brandon Clarks. We saw them unravel in big spots when they had Dylan Brooks on the team, etc. But for a team that had just as bad of a start as you could possibly have, and a head coach that was just floundering, head spinning, didn't know what to do, you bring in veteran players a la Derek Rose and Marcus Smart, who have both been injured and have not really contributed, although Smart has been a guy that we all know, pom-poms, rah-rah guy, Blood and guts, glue guys we saw in Boston for all those years. And he's trying to do whatever he can to will his team back to any type of respectability on the sidelines. But for the Grizzlies, who have a lot of work and a lot to make up here, they are currently six and a half games behind the 10th seed in the Phoenix Suns. And even though there's a logjam there at the bottom, and still with plenty of basketball to be played, the question is going to be asked, Can John Morant save the Grizzlies season and put them 
into at least a playing tournament when it's all said and done. I think in this NBA, absolutely. And when you look at the teams ahead of them, just from the 7 through 10 bracket, New Orleans, the Lakers, Rockets, Suns. If they're going to have any chance to eclipse those teams, the first two teams come to mind would be Houston and New Orleans as teams that would have to slip out of that top 10. They don't both have to come out, but one of those will have to fall out in order for Memphis to leapfrog over those teams. And mind you, Golden State is one of those teams on the outside looking in. And they've played a little bit better of late as they've won three in a row, including a big game against the Celtics on Tuesday night when they were down 17 and then won in overtime and Steph Curry throwing more daggers at the Celtics as he did in the finals there a couple of years ago, which was bad on the Celtics part, although they rallied the troops last night and just obliterated the Kings in their building. What was it? 144 to 119. But they also have to get past a Warrior team that I'm sure they may be heard from when it's all said and done. But can John Morant, a guy who, as we all know, could be one of the faces of the NBA, a guy whose reputation has taken a huge hit and his image has to be repaired and restored, not only amongst the youth, the kids that look up to him, but of course the community, his own teammates, the organization, etc., It's all about actions at this point. He could say anything and everything that could convince the next person. But we all know he has to not only talk it, but walk it. And can he save this season for them to be respectable, for them to maybe get into the postseason, not to say that they got to go deep, but maybe even make some hay to win around, be competitive, And to show that he is that guy that can be relied on, that can be trusted, that is an all-NBA type player? I think he can. And I think the Grizzlies can be that team that could be in that 7-10 to range. And if they get really hot, who knows? Maybe they could go up as high as 4. I don't think that's going to happen. They are currently 12 games under 500. And a lot of ground to make up. But... If there's a guy that they could rally around, a guy that on any given night could put up that type of performance and play to the best of his abilities as we've seen here over the course of his first, what is it, three, four years of his NBA career? Absolutely. So we shall wait and see how that is going to unfold as the Grizzlies, their next game I believe is tonight. Let's take a look here. The Grizz... They have the Pacers tonight in their building, so I'm sure the crowd is going to be amped up, ready, especially on the heels of what happened there in New Orleans on Tuesday. So who knows? Maybe this could be the beginning of what could be, I'm not going to say a magical season, but a turnaround that we have not seen in quite some time. And speaking of turnarounds, I don't know if we're going to see one in Detroit. And as I talked about, There on the podcast, this Piston team under new coach Monty Williams, who's getting paid a king's ransom when it comes to NBA coaches. That Greg Popovich, who got a five-year, $80 million deal, was more, a million and a half, I want to say exact, more than what Monty Williams signed on the dotted line in the Motor City. And for him to start off his season at 2-1 and and currently stands at 2-25, and Something's got to change. They do have the Jazz tonight, as I mentioned. And then they have a home-and-home with Brooklyn. Saturday and Tuesday. Now maybe, who knows, can they beat Utah? Who are one of those teams that are on the outside looking in in the West to go along with Golden State and the aforementioned Grizzlies? Who knows? Maybe they'll surprise the fan base and have a little stocking stuffer or gift under the tree in the mold of a W. But I don't know if there's going to be any hope for this team to have a victory here over the course of the next few days. And you know I'll be on top of it. We'll see if we could all jump up and down to say, hooray, the streak is finally over. A streak that I know that the Detroit Pistons do not want to own in the annals of NBA history because they are now two losses away from tying 
The 2010-2011 Cleveland Cavaliers, that's the year after LeBron left to Miami where he took his talents to South Beach. And then three years later, the 2013-14 pre-trust-the-process Philadelphia 76ers, both of those teams lost 26 games in a row. And mind you, the reason why I brought up just the three games they have ahead of the schedule, again, Jazz in Brooklyn and then hosting Brooklyn where that Tuesday night where the podcast could come out then. But at that time, the Pistons could either tie the record of 26 games going into that Tuesday night game, obviously snap it with a win in the next two, or history could be in the making there Tuesday night if they lose to the Nets. And I'm sure Monty Williams is... Hoping, and I'm sure he's hearing the whispers, knowing that the record is right upon him. His first year in Detroit, five years. Great guy, a guy you want to root for. Tragedy in his life. Tough loss in the NBA Finals against the Bucks in 2021. A guy who says all the right things, does all the right things. A guy that you want to have representing your franchise. But... This business, as we all know, it's all about wins and losses. And the losses are piling up. And they're mounting by the day. Mounting at a record pace. Hopefully a record that does not come to fruition. Especially if you're the ownership group of the Pistons. So we shall wait and see how this is all going to transpire here over the course of the next few days. Then you have the Christmas Day slate. Which, as I mentioned time after time over the last few weeks, it's going to get swallowed up by the NFL. But if you want to bypass Vegas and Kansas City, and especially Giants in Philadelphia, and I could see that being a replay of the divisional game last year when the Giants went to Philadelphia and got pasted, what was it, 31-7 at the half? But for the Christmas Day slate, you have Milwaukee at the Garden against the Knicks, and the Knicks have played well here. Give them some credit. And the Bucks, they're actually going to be in town over the weekend because they have an afternoon matinee against the Knicks on Saturday. So they're going to be here for the weekend. So for those who want to attempt to go see Giannis play here at Madison Square Garden, well, you have not one but two opportunities here over the weekend. So you have Bucks knicks the first game. Golden State at Denver is your 2.30 matchup, followed by an old rival, Boston at LA to play the Lakers at 5 o'clock. So that's right smack in the middle of Eagles-Giants, which one more time, bypass it. Not that I'm a shill for the NBA, but you know what I'm saying. Then you have Philadelphia at Miami at 8 o'clock, followed by Dallas at Phoenix, a little Kyrie and KD matchup there at 10.30. So you have some great games, great matchups there from 12 p.m., so I would say about 1 a.m., 13 hours of NBA basketball that for the Hoops fan, you could have your eggnog, have your Christmas dinner, unwrap all your gifts, and just wallow in Giannis, Curry, Jokic, Tatum, LeBron, AD, Embiid, Butler, Kyrie, KD. Doesn't get any better than that if you're an NBA fan. So... We have that to look forward to if you're a Hoops fan. And when we take a look at the standings, the Clippers have been on fire. I talked about them on Monday winning eight in a row. They've now won nine straight, 17-10. and 10, Just a game behind Denver in the West as the 3-4 seed. And really, when you look at it, they're also a game behind Oklahoma City. Although the Thunder have only played 25 games where the Nuggets have played 29, so there's the advantage there for the Thunder as they have four games in hand over the Nuggets and two games in hand over the Clippers. But they have been scorching hot. I'm sure a lot of people expected this team to play at this level. Of course, with the James Harden trade, and I haven't really followed it too much. I know Harden had a big game there the other night. I believe he had a stretch where he scored a bunch of points in a row. So it seems like that marriage has gone pretty well, especially as of late, because remember, they got off to a very sluggish start, and it looked like it could have been tough sledding for them, at least for the first half of the year, but they've turned it around big time, and now that Tyron Lue has had their team in sync, everybody seems to be on the same page, 
Could the Clippers be a dangerous team? Maybe as we get deeper into the season, it looks like that could be the case, especially with the young guns there with Minnesota as well as Oklahoma City out west. So we'll keep an eye on that. And then as far as the east, you have teams that have been middling, teams that have been hanging around. I know the Magic have slipped here a little bit in the conference, although they are 16-10. and 10. But to go up against the big boys on the block, whether it's Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, I think there's still a couple of strides behind those teams. Those are the behemoths of the conference. And then you have Knicks, Cleveland, Miami, etc. all the way down. And that is pretty much it. Even the Lakers have lost three in a row. They lost to the Knicks there a couple nights ago. The Bulls last night. And we know the Bulls are a team that are a fringe playoff hopeful in the East. But that's what you have with the NBA as we look forward to the weekend, as we look forward to Christmas Day, and we'll encapsulate that all on the next podcast. The NHL is very low-key as we keep it with the fall and winter sports before I get to baseball and wrap it up. I know Ottawa fired their head coach, DJ Smith. They hired Jacques Martin. He's been a longtime coach in the league, going back to his days with the St. Louis Blues. And that organization has gone through a lot here over the last... Six, eight months off the top of my head. New ownership. A player suspended for gambling, although he was a restricted free agent. But he got suspended for half the season based on betting. Then you have a situation where they fired this coach. I believe there was a scenario, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. And mind you, I'm playing with a little bit of a fuzzy brain here today. Only because I got very little sleep last night. Thanks to my puppy who is going to be a year old on Christmas Eve. Pooping throughout the course of the night, not to get into all the dirty details, but I believe there was a scenario where the previous owner had passed away before the new ownership had come in and bought the team. So the Senators, who I thought maybe would have a big year and at least make some noise in the Eastern Conference, well, they've fallen on hard times and have not played well. That's been pretty much the big story here over the course of the early part of the week for the Senators, a team that maybe... People could look at a surprise in the NHL and obviously in the Eastern Conference, but that's not the case as they have, I'm not going to say fallen on hard times, but they have not played well and are currently in last place, seven points behind the Sabres there. And even though the Sabres have six games in hand and they're one of the teams in the NHL that have, as I look here, they played the least amount of games in the National Hockey League. So although they have some ground to make up, but... Who knows if they're going to do anything in the Eastern Conference. And as we would think, as of right this moment, that's not going to be the case. But the sport overall has pretty much been the same since Monday. I have nothing much else to add. Teams have pretty much been where they've been. I know if this makes you feel young for a guy like Yarmir Yager, who's going to play in his 36th year of hockey when it goes back to his days In the Czech Republic, obviously the long NHL career he's had. And now in the Czech League where he's going to make his season debut for the Kladno Knights at the age of 51. And Jager, as we all know, an all-time great player. One of the top 100 that the sport has ever seen. And he continues to play. I guess you could say to a certain extent he's a modern-day Gordie Howe. Although he's not playing on a professional NHL level. But kudos to him for still lacing up the skates and getting out there for an illustrious career. Again, one of the top players of all time. He's still out there, even though not here in this country, but obviously from where he's from. Tremendous job by Yager doing that. But nothing else to really discuss or unpack here when it comes to the National Hockey League. And I'm going to wrap up with some baseball as I... Get in the batter's box and dig in here for a moment or two. I understand we had all the pomp and circumstance and the hoopla surrounding Shohei Otani for almost a week when it came to his signing two Saturdays ago. We understand the contract, deferred money, his press conference, etc. And the Dodgers getting Tyler Glass now to add to the rotation. We all understand that. But for the hot stove overall, it has been ice cold. I don't even know if there's even any gas when it comes to the hot stove. That when we turn it on, you can't even get a flicker. 
We may have to call Con Edison here in the New York area to wonder whether or not, hey, are we going to have any transactions or any gifts under the trees for a Yankee fan, Met fan, Dodger fan, Red Sox fan, Cub fan, etc.? And the Mets, it seems like they're going back to the Wilpon days. Can I just throw that in the mix here real quick? Because the big Met transaction here over the last few days was them acquiring Adrian Hauser, who has been a longtime pitcher, and Tyrone Taylor, who's an outfielder that can play all three positions that they got from the Brewers. Ha, surprise there. David Stearns, the former VP of Baseball Ops in Milwaukee, now making trades with his former team and trying to add some small pieces and trying to add some depth and maybe some length in their bullpen or their rotation because they're not going out to get the big fish in the pond, so to speak, and that would be Yoshi Yamamoto. If this is going to be a thing where the Mets are going to go back to the Wilpon days, I don't want to hear anything about it. Unless they're gearing up for Yamamoto. Now, let me just get to that. The secrecy behind this, or mystery, I should say, behind this whole free agency process regarding this pitcher, and I get he's 25 years old, and I'm sure the demands are through the roof and to the sun, moon, stars, and the entire galaxy. To how many years, to how much money, to the fee that it's going to be to get this guy, the posting fee just to engage and negotiate to what kind of contract you're going to get. Understood. And who knows what's been thrown around. And I get it that there's been a second meeting between Steve Cohen and the camp for one Yoshi Yamamoto. Who knows where that was. I know the first go around, I believe it was, off the top of my head, it wasn't Japan, maybe it was in California, but I know they had that one meeting there. And then another meeting just recently. Who knows if that means that they're the front runners. As of right this moment, from some reports, the Yankees are the front runners to get Yamamoto. The Dodgers with the deferred money that's going to Shohei Otani and having a countryman on the team. Same for the Mets with Kodai Senga. But with the Dodgers, maybe there's a possibility that they could swoop in and get the likes of a one Yamamoto to be a part of their rotation moving forward. Who knows if the Giants are going to be a team who's desperate to have any type of identity to have a guy that could be the face of an organization, a guy that every fifth day he could roll out and could put up a dominant start. They need that in the worst way. The Cubs, who knows what the Ricketts family are going to do in Wrigleyville, etc. If there's another team, will the pockets of John Henry and company and the Fenway group maybe finally get their pitcher on the dotted line for the next five, seven, ten years? Again, it is a mystery. We do not know. But can it end soon? What's the deal here? What's the holdup? What is happening? If I'm Steve Cohen, this is what I would do. I would put forth, and this is posting fee aside, because I'm sure the posting fee, who knows, $50 million, I, I don't even know what it is. But I would say, Mr. Yamamoto, you're 25 years old, we understand you're young. You have your whole future ahead of you. We want you to come to Queens to go along with your countrymen who I believe you were buddies on the World Baseball Classic team just nine months ago. And to have you guys, you two at the top of the rotation and Kodai, I gave him five years, $75 million, And I understand you're going to want much more and Kodai has a few years on you. I get it. But how about if I give you Six years. And six years to your 31, where you could get your final big-time contract, I'm going to give you six years, $240 million, which would give you $40 million a year, which is more than what Garrett Cole is making, and he just came off of a Cy Young award-winning season. I understand it's $3 million less than what Max Scherzer is getting at $43 million a year, and the same for a one Justin Verlander, who I also gave $43 million a year for two years, but those guys are 40 years of age. And yes, I understand that you want eight, 10, maybe even 12 years for all I know. But if I give you six, that sixth year will be your opt-out. 
to where if you have a dominant six years, and it's not as if you're getting a basement bargain here, but if you have Cy Young seasons and maybe even bring us a World Series that we have not seen in 37 years and counting, but when you hit that age of 31 years, that you could get maybe 10 years, that you could get eight years and even more money per year than what I've offered. What do you say about that? I think that's a fair deal. I think that's good. Wait, what are the Yankees giving you? Oh, they're going to give you more years but less money? Okay. Okay, what about the Dodgers? What about this team? We all know that Cohen has the most money on the block. And I would negotiate from that stance. And Lord knows, I am far from an owner or anything close to an executive. But if I was a GM or if I was Steve Cohen, that's what I'd start. And I think that's fair. Listen, I've given that some thought. And I believe for those listening out there, I'm sure that you would look at that and say, Jay Reels, you're off your rocker. He's going to ask for eight or 10 years. Understood. But how much money he's getting per year? So if he lessened the years, and as I mentioned, 31 years of age, you could get even a bigger contract. And it's not as if I'm giving you six years for 20 million a year. I'm giving you 40. You're going to be the third highest paid pitcher in the sport. And sadly as it is, he's paying the other two guys, Scherzer and Verlander, whatever money that they had to give away because they couldn't just have the Astros or even the Rangers pay the whole bill for the final year of each of those two deals. So he had to front some money along the way so he could make him the third highest paid pitcher for a guy who is not pitched in this country at all. And therefore, I feel it's a fair deal. What do you guys and gals think? And who knows? Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Cody Bellinger. These guys are in the wilderness, or at least their representation is. Who knows what's going to happen when it comes to these guys? And this is what I mean about the winter meetings, the hot stove. Christmas is on the horizon, and we haven't heard a peep. This is reminiscent of the big-time free agency year where Bryce Harper and Manny Machado signed pretty much on the dotted line when all players reported after the pitches and catches reported in February. And here we are now on December 21st, and we don't have a smoke signal. We don't have a telegram. We don't have an iota of any information on where any of these aforementioned players are going, including the biggest free agent of all, a player that we have not seen pitch on a professional level here stateside, and we're still waiting with bated breath on when this is going to take place. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books, as always. Thank you so much for stopping by, for your participation, carving out a few precious moments out of your day to listen to what it is they have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it, as you all know, to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, as I mentioned before, on YouTube, at JReels, question, comment, suggestion, you could do so on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast, Twitter, X, JReels, one, just a number, the old-fashioned way, the JReels podcast at gmail.com. You know that I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say, as I always say. As long as I'm breathing on God's green earth and I'm alive and feeling vibrant, although today I'm a little bit sluggish and beaten up and battered, but that's not going to slow me down in the least to deliver nothing but fire, passion, energy, Fury into this microphone through your earbuds, speakers, or headphones with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Kwanzaa. I know Hanukkah just concluded, but for those who celebrate, 
All the best throughout this next few days. We'll reconvene next week, Monday or Tuesday. Stay tuned to YouTube for that. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the foot, baby.